0: Last week, we went through uh, what I would describe as one of the most venerated chapters uh, in the Old Testament. It's Isaiah 58. It's, it's God calling his people through Isaiah um, to a, a sincere, humble, and contrite heart about their relationship with God. Not a relationship that's papered over with religious activity, while they actually continue to oppress and and, and exploit people and commit uh, grievous and dark sins, but then try to cover it up um, with this activity of prayer, of fasting, um, of of observing the Sabbath, when in reality their heart's not into it. Um, One of the things that as a pastor I I have to deal with uh, probably more than I would like to admit is is, is my heart really into what I am called to do and what I'm doing? Uh, it's not enough for me to just get up here and prepare a sermon and deliver God's word, proclaim the gospel, and, and lead the staff here. It has to be way more than that. Uh, I have to mean it. I have to have a, a, a humble, a sincere, and a genuine heart in doing it. And, and God is, is very clear with his people. Um, the Israelites at this time had been exalting something called the day of the Lord. They were looking forward to the day when, when God would come and elevate his people, Israel and Judah, and that he would make them the top nation in the world at the expense of all of their enemies, that, he would, that God would come and smite their enemies. And, and they were begging for that. And God goes to them through Isaiah to let them know, you may be asking for this. You may be asking for me to preach the truth to you, but you can't handle the truth. God said it way before, um, what's his name said it in, in, can't you remember his name now? That's how old I am. eh? Jack Nicholson, thank you very much. Anyway, um, he's saying, no, 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 no. You need to do some heart work before God comes again. And, And I even look at that that passage of scripture which was written 2,800 years ago, and I think about Christians today, and I run into Christians today who can't wait for the day of the Lord. They can't wait for Jesus to come because they're just sure that so-and-so and so-and-so is gonna get theirs from God. And I'm like, ooh, you need to be a little careful with that because we need to be about examining our own hearts in the midst of this, and that's what God is calling us. And, and the, the major themes in this, in this chapter are God's sovereignty, Uh, He's in charge of everything. He controls everything. There's no such thing as a maverick molecule in this universe. And he knows everything. He knows our hearts. He knows our motivation behind every um, behavior and activity that we do. He knows the text behind the text behind the text. He knows everything. And we need to be aware of that. But but there are other themes in, in this passage as well. For instance, that he wants us to have this humble, sincere, and genuine heart. And then third, there is great Hope at the end of this chapter. He says, Look, uh, I'm calling you to repentance, not because you aren't my people, but because you are my people, because I've given you my love and my grace and my mercy. You need to be responding to me with a heart that is for who I am and for loving and taking care of and serving other people. And one of the reasons I wanted to do that passage of scripture last week is because I also believe that is the heart behind who Redemption Church is. Uh, Today, we celebrate our seven-year anniversary of Redemption Church. We've been around now for seven years. That's that's awesome, clap for that. And I wanna give you just a little bit of history. Uh, Redemption Church is a church that began uh, with the merger of two churches. The first was East Valley Bible Church out in Gilbert, Arizona. Uh, That church had been around for almost 20 years, maybe 20 years, when the merger happened. They are now our Gilbert congregation in Redemption Church. Uh, And and that church was founded by a guy named Tom Schrader, who many of you know. He's been here to speak. Uh, And that church merged with a church called Praxis Church, which had been started about 11 years ago. Um, by a guy named uh, Justin Anderson. He started it in Tempe, and then a few years later, uh, he was able to obtain a satellite spot here in Arcadia. So, Redemption uh, was a merger between East Valley Bible Church in Gilbert and then Praxis Church in Tempe and our Arcadia. Now, I, I have to ask, I did this in first service. It was really cool to see. I hope it's just as cool here. How many of you have attended not not Redemption Gilbert, but how many of you have attended East Valley Bible Church in Gilbert in the past? Anybody? Yeah, there's a few of you here. How many of you attended Praxis before it became rede- Look at that. I love, I love that. That is awesome. Um, as, as a lead pastor, one of the things that we have to do is we have to cast vision. But one of the things that it seems like nobody talks enough about that the lead pastor has to do is we also have to preserve our history. And that's what I'm trying uh, to do today, to remember where we came from and who we are and why that matters to us today. And so uh, what I've done is I've invited somebody who's been around for all of it, but primarily behind the scenes to come up and let me just interview him so you can hear some of the inside stories. Neil Pitchell is uh, Redemption Church's executive pastor. He is essentially in the marketplace. He'd be considered the chief operating officer and chief financial officer of Redemption Church. He's been around almost 20 years. He was part of Redemption, uh, He was part of East Valley Bible Church in Gilbert. He goes way back with Tom Schrader. He's a very good friend. We are kindred spirits in that we both love the Old Testament. He is actually a scholar in the Old Testament. I'm just a poser. Uh, and I uh, I'm just gonna ask him some questions and try to set him up to be able to tell you some of the stories behind uh, Redemption Church and the people who have made this happen. So welcome, Neil. So right out of the gate, I gotta ask you to give us the Neil Pitchell story. Where are you from? How did you ever find your way to Jesus and all that stuff, okay?
1: My favorite story, uh, (laughs) talking about myself. So I was born in Boston, uh, grew up in a a very ethnic, working-class city called Peabody uh, in a Jewish family. We were pretty much a secular Jewish family. We went to temple on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, kind of equivalent to the Christian who goes on Christmas and Easter. Uh, And although we were more secular than we were religious, I was still required by my family to uh, make my bar mitzvah. So I went to Hebrew school and bar mitzvah lessons and at the age of 13 I I made my bar mitzvah and then I was done with the religious stuff. Uh, So I went on to the University of Massachusetts, um, majored in economics and business and one evening I was sitting in my dorm room with the door open and uh, two guys who I'd never seen before walked into my room. And they looked at a poster that was on my wall. Uh, This was the early 70s, so it was kind of a weird time with wall hangings and things. And this poster said, I believe in God even when he is silent. It didn't really matter to me what it said, but it was a cool-looking poster. So (laughs) (laughs) these guys looked at it and said, do you really believe in God? And I said, well, yeah, I guess. And they said, do you believe that you could have a personal relationship with God? And I said, absolutely not. I said, as a Jew, I can't even write the word God. We have to write G space D. I have to wear a yarmulke in temple because I can't be directly in the presence of a holy God. I have to have my head covered. And you want to tell me I can have a personal relationship with him? Uh, I don't think so. I said, but we'd like to, we'd like to tell you that, that there is a way. And... Uh, Since I didn't really feel like studying, I said, okay. (laughs) So, at that moment, my roommate walked in who was a Catholic guy from Connecticut, and uh, he didn't feel like studying either, so he sat down (laughs) next to us, and they pulled out this little orange booklet. It said four spiritual laws on it. And they started to go through it, Uh, and I I didn't understand a thing. It completely went over my head. I, I, whatever. My roommate, God touched his heart right there at that moment, and he got down on his knees and prayed to receive Jesus, and it absolutely freaked me out. (laughs) (laughs) So I did the only thing I thought would make sense is I I moved out. Moved in with another friend um, who halfway through that semester uh, by the same two guys uh, came to faith in Jesus. So I moved into a fraternity where I oh <laughs> I knew I'd be safe. And, uh, But the amazing thing was that these guys um, continued to pursue me. They continued to invite me to meetings. They continued to be the kindest. Most concerned people I'd ever met, and uh, they just—they just stayed after me uh, throughout my entire college career. Uh, after graduating, now this is four and a half years later, uh, I was getting married. Um, my wife, uh, Kate, is, is Catholic, and uh, a friend of mine from my hometown who had also gotten saved. Um, gave me a book called Mere Christianity. Now, you have to understand, I had come to a place where uh, I believed that Jesus was a great man. I had a big three as a Jew. I had Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, I decided to have a big four because they had given me a, a New Testament to read, and they told me to read the Gospel of John, and I thought, wow, there's some really good stuff here. I can use this. Um, so I decided I'd have a, a big four, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus, and I would follow and, and use the information to be as successful as I possibly could be. I thought that was the perfect plan, but it, it, it turned out to be really schizophrenic. I, I <laughs> would hang out with these guys because they were such nice guys, and I'd kind of act like them, and then I'd hang out with my fraternity brothers and kind of act like them. Um, it, was, it was a very confusing, difficult life. So here I have this book, Mere Christianity. In the very first chapter, the author, C.S. Lewis, says, I want to talk to those of you who believe that Jesus was just a great man. I thought, okay, that's me. Um, he said, I want you to know you have a problem because Jesus <laughs> says he's God. And anyone who says they're God, there are only three possible options. One is they're a lunatic they think they're God, but they're really not. Second is that they're a liar. They know they're not God, but they want you to believe that they are. Or third is, they are who they say they are. And I thought, my goodness, the impact that Jesus had had on the lives of these guys was so dramatic. They were such caring, wonderful people. And what I had read about Jesus, There was no way in my mind that he could be a lunatic or a liar. So I I prayed. I said, God, I don't completely understand. How could all of the Jews throughout history have missed this? How could my grandparents, who were so religious as, as Jews, how could they have missed this? But I know you're not a liar, and I know you're not a lunatic. So you must be who you say you are, my Lord and Savior. So please open my eyes let me see this, let me understand this truth. And he did, um, and remarkably opened my eyes to see Jesus, that he is who he is, indeed it says he is, a savior of the world. Um, it radically changed my life, obviously, and um, got married and um, had two, two children. I have a, a son, David, who's 29, uh, lives in Gilbert, and is... Uh, single and eligible. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, And I have a uh, daughter, he's a good-looking guy. Um, (laughs) And um, I have a daughter, Callie, who's 33, and she's uh, living in Seattle with her husband, uh, Chris. Um, How I got to become uh, the administrative executive pastor of a, a major evangelical church is really quite a remarkable story. Uh, but it started with my motivation, was believing that every big church needs a Jewish bookkeeper. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and r- remarkably, um, my, my mother and brothers moved to uh, Arizona, and I had, when we came to visit, had gone to Bethany Community Church in Tempe and got their newsletter, and they said they were hiring an administrative pastor, Um, and I applied for that job with no experience, never been to Bible school, no seminary, had been in business for about 10 years working in finance and administration, and with 100 applicants, I got the job. It was crazy and uh, it was obviously God's plan working. Uh, I was at Bethany Community Church for almost 11 years and then I got a call from Tom Schrader uh, asking if I'd be interested in coming over to East Valley Bible Church and it was the perfect time for me to make a change and I've been at East Valley uh, Redemption
0: Church since uh, September of 2000. Yeah, awesome. So, um, what's my next question? I get so wrapped up in your stories, man. All right, the historical narrative from your perspective, what, what was going on behind the scenes? What were some of the motivations and the players in bringing about the merger and now Redemption Church? Yeah.
1: Well, East Valley Bible Church was, was really a very successful, outward-focused, gospel-centered church that taught the Bible verse by verse. We were growing like crazy, um, and we subscribed to what we called the attractional model. We wanted to bring as many people on the campus as possible teach them the word, and send them out. Um, and as, as a result of that, we decided we were gonna build this massive worship center. This was mid-2006, um, 1500 seat worship center, 12 million dollars. We went through the entire architectural process. We submitted the plans to the, to the town of Gilbert. Everything was approved. And in that time, God was kind of laying on our hearts that this attractional model really wasn't the best way to distribute the truth of Christ, to, to allow the gospel to be taken throughout the state of Arizona, that, that this model of multiplication, of planting churches was really the better way to do it. One of our core values had been uh, to be an influence beyond our congregation Uh, Beyond our campus and we thought the way to do that like I said was to bring people on and then send them out well, we we decided we scrapped those plans um, and decided to focus on planting churches and resourcing other young pastors in the community to help them grow their church and in that process Tom Schrader Tyler Johnson and Tim Mond, three of our key leaders at um, East Valley Bible Church started to develop relationships with young pastors throughout the city, including Mm -hmm. Justin Anderson, who had, as as, uh, Frank had mentioned, had planted Praxis Church, was very successful, was doing very well, and Tom and Tyler especially poured into Justin, really gave him some of the uh, help that was necessary for him to continue to grow his church. And in those discussions, as they were meeting together and as they, as both churches were growing, uh, the phrase came up that said, maybe we could be better together. Maybe we could be more impactful for the gospel, for God's kingdom, if we were one church instead of three locations, um, two different churches. And as we prayed about that and as we talked about that, it, it seemed to make sense. <clears throat> so we brought a consultant in to meet with us and. Uh, we talked that through and prayed and, and decided, yes, we will merge together. We will maintain the East Valley Bible Church corporate name and change our name uh, because we couldn't be East Valley Bible Church anymore because of Praxis had an Arcadia location. And um, most of the old guys at Gilbert, we didn't know what Praxis meant, so we couldn't be Praxis. <laughs> um, so we... Uh, we actually went away on a retreat and prayed and talked and came up with, with Redemption Church. Um, so really the, the impetus behind it was, uh, was, was really Tom Schrader's desire to uh, continue the, the uh, legacy and to continue the, the trajectory that East Valley Bible Church had been on, realizing that he was coming close to the end of his career and needed to pour into young men in order to keep the gospel going uh, throughout the state of Arizona. So our goal was to plant redemption congregations and autonomous congregations, um, whatever God had called us or um, the particular individuals uh, were most equipped
0: to do. Which, which we've done. We've planted both redemption congregations and congregations that are not redemption. Right. So well, that's, and we've sent other young guys out to pastor other churches too, yes. which has been um, really good. So uh, really the big three involved in this were Tom Schrader, Justin Anderson, and then Tyler Johnson was kind of the he was the epoxy, I, I, the glue, I guess, <laughs> to bring everything together. Um, talk about each of those guys, maybe for a minute. Talk yeah. like Tom, and then Tyler, and Justin.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, Tom Schrader, for those of you who've had an opportunity to hear him, is obviously an incredible communicator, uh, very gifted Bible teacher. Um, but he is the most secure um, man that I had ever seen in a role of a large church. He was. His desire was to continue the ability of East Valley Bible Church to have an impact for the kingdom of God, long be- long beyond his ability to continue to teach. So he developed young leaders, he brought together a team so that we could best lead our congregation and look to opportunities a- a around the world. So Tom being so willing to let go of the reins was, just a, a, a wonderful impetus for us to move forward. Um, Justin was, is one of the g- most gifted communicators we've, we've ever seen. He yes. was a dynamic leader. He taught the Bible with passion and with accuracy. Um, but he had never been in the kind of environment that we had at East Valley Bible Church where we had Tom and some of our elders who were godly men who had spent time working uh, through all of the struggles of, of uh, building a church. So he was kind of on his own. So his great um, benefit to him was coming in and working with guys like like Tom and Tim and some of the other guys that were there. Tyler was, was um, he was the connectivity, he was the connective tissue. Yeah, right. Tyler makes relationships like no one I've ever seen. Yeah. It was his ability to meet people in the community and develop relationships with them that allowed redemption to grow into what, it's, what it is today.
0: Yeah, and then, and then right after this merger happened and you're trying to figure out, well, are we gonna have local leadership? Or are we gonna raise up screens in the congregations? Um, you kind of had that answered by God through some personnel changes. It yeah. was weird, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, very very interesting. So h- here we are.
1: Uh, We've started Redemption Church. Um, We have two of the most gifted Bible teachers in the valley with Tom Schrader and Justin Anderson. And within months after we got this started, Justin came to us as the leadership team and said, I feel that God is calling me to go to San Francisco. And we looked at him and said, what, (laughs) really? And he said, yeah, I can't get it off my heart. I, and every time I pray, every time I think, I see San Francisco. I believe that's where God wants me. And as, as we looked at the, the New Testament church in Acts, they always sent out their best people. Paul, you go. Barnabas, you go. And we thought, well, this is what you're calling us to do, God. We'll send Justin to San Francisco. So we, because we had decided that we were focusing on the state of Arizona we sent Justin as an independent church, we called it Redemption San Francisco, but it was not part of the Redemption Arizona family, and um, off he went. Right after that, Tom said to us, he was right, about, right around 61, and he said, I, I think I'm done pretty soon. Um, I, I really think we need to think about um, my transition as well. Um, and God provided uh, a wonderful solution in both cases. God provided Frank to take over the Arcadia congregation, he provided Ricardo to take ho- over the Tempe congregation, and Tim Mon, who had been the executive pastor at Gilbert, was perfectly suited to step in. So when we sat back and said, God, you are sovereign over this, and Justin's leaving, and Tom is leaving, we need to do something a little bit different then, and that's where the congregational model really came to birth, was we're not gonna depend upon just these outstanding communicators who um, can go to San Francisco or retire. We're gonna, we're gonna see what God does in providing us leaders for each congregation,
0: and, and he did that in a remarkable way. So that's a perfect segue into what I think might be the last question to ask you. You've watched the sovereignty of God and how he's moved through redemption and and, and um, have been witness to what we like to call God stories, like Cody's story this morning of this guy who's not even really a part of our congregation who decides to pick up $28,000 worth of sponsorship for these kids, that's a God story. Uh, Tell us some of the God stories that you've yeah. seen well, at c- redemption. Certainly
1: the God story is that is God providing the right people at the right time. Every single time we needed someone uh, for a particular role, God raised that person up in every case, in, in wonderful ways, people we never even expected. So that was certainly one. But I think one of the big things, and, and this is for me, because I managed the properties of the church, was how God provided in incredible ways, properties that we needed when we needed it, right where we needed it. Um, Praxis, when they joined Redemption, rented both in Tempe and in Arcadia. And although they were decent relationships, we knew that that was a tremendous threat to the church's longevity, being in, in unstable rental relationships. And we began praying that God would provide us with the right Buildings, right? Opportunities to purchase, and he provided the perfect location for Redemption Tempe um, that was just came to us. We weren't even looking for that. And we got a call from a developer to, uh, to say that this was becoming available, and we were able to work through the purchase and get them moved in in no time then Frank and his team spent I don't know how many months looking for a property looking all over the place where can we move to our our situation in parking at at, uh, Memorial Presbyterian was very difficult we needed our own place and then we got contacted Tyler because he's out there with meeting everybody got contacted by Biltmore Bible Church and said we're in a situation where we need to be able to provide for our pastor and his wife who's retired. We had no retirement for them. We need a way to provide for them for their future, they're elderly, and we wanna make sure they're cared for. The only asset we have is the building. We don't wanna sell it, but we need to. We wanna sell it to a church, um, and would you be interested? There were four major churches that were salivating over this property, and we, When we met with them, they told us the, the price that they would be willing to accept, a kind of a range. And of course, being the Jewish bookkeeper, I went to the lowest end of the range, <laughs> and, uh, and, and they, they took our offer. I, I expected some negotiation. I thought, okay, if I start here, we'll end up here. They took our offer right right on, which provided us with the money necessary to do the renovations and get this congregation up and running in its own location. We have a congregation in Alhambra Village, uh, very poor community, one of the poorest communities in Phoenix, and they were renting a facility and it was a very dark and very small and they needed a place, but because of their situation, there was no way they could afford to buy a property because we require each congregation to be able to maintain their own facility, pay the bills, and if there's a mortgage, pay the mortgage, pay the rent, that's the, the church's responsibility. They could, they, there was no way they could do it and we got a call, again, Tyler got a call, from American Evangelical Lutheran Church, a mile and a half away from that location, that they said that they were shutting down the church, um, that they, had, um, just, they just couldn't maintain the property, and would we be willing to accept it if, we, if they gave it to us? <laughs> I said, well, let me think. <laughs> yes, they gave us the property. Um, and uh, we had, you know, minor costs to renovate it, and that congregation has flourished in that location, in that building, and have made an incredible impact on that community uh, because God and his sovereignty provided us with
0: these incredible gifts. And and the stories could just go on and on and on, couldn't they? Um, Well, Neil, uh, I will tell you that I get around and talk to, All a lot of people in Redemption Church, and every time your name comes up, and I know this bugs you because you're a humble guy, but every time your name comes up, people have nothing but the highest praise because you are so humble, so hardworking, because you've taken such good care of us for so many years with our health care, managing our properties and our facilities, taking care of our payroll, doing all of the stuff that frankly frees us up to be pastors and to be shepherds. Uh, we are so thankful for you, and I'm glad that you got to be able to come today and share these stories with us so that we have a little bit deeper understanding of our history here uh, at Redemption Church. Thank you very Thanks much for, thank uh, you uh, for being it. here. Thanks, thank you all for being here. Um, would, you, would you pray for us as we transition into our time of reflection? Father, we are so grateful for who you are, for your sovereignty,
1: for your mercy and grace, for your love. Lord, for your commitment to your church. And, Lord, we continue to depend upon you for all things. Lord, we can do nothing apart from you, and we pray that you will continue uh, to guide us, to lead us, to give us wisdom, to make wise decisions. And, Lord, but most of all, to give you the glory and honor in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Neil.